Well, good morning. So we have a, um, a treat this morning. Um, our own Logan is back in town, and uh, so he's going to come tell us a little bit about that. So uh, five years ago when he was 18, he left for, for uh, Nepal for a couple years of missions work, and, uh, and then has just recently been back there, and so we want to let him tell you a little bit about what's going on with that. So let's give Logan a hand. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy to be here. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll just jump into it. Um, as many of you guys know, I was in Nepal for two years, back from 2017 to 2019. And actually, I, I came, so I moved back to do college. And uh, more time has passed that I wasn't there than I had lived there. And I'd never gone back to visit at all. But this last um, May, I was out there for a month, and this opportunity came up. When I, I, I was checking one of my airline accounts um, that, you know, I had flown to Nepal. And some, I had some airline models that are expiring in June. So I just, you know, used them to, to get this ticket out to Nepal. Um, and it was just a, a great opportunity to go out and visit. And uh, my two years in Nepal kind of ended off. Um, of me going to this one village that I had been to three times. And um, every time I'd gone there, I'd been building relationships with more and more people. And I started this, this um, I started incorporating this passion of mine with photography into this village where uh, I would go there, I would take portraits of the people. And, and then the, the following, the third time I was there, uh, I was like, I should print these out and, like, give them to the people. So I did that, and as I gave the photos to the people, um, I had people swarming around me. Uh, this was back three years ago. Wanting, you know, oh, I want my photo too, you know. Like, what What the heck, you know, this is so cool. I want, you know, can you take my photo, and when are you coming back? And when they're asking me all these questions. So I told them, yeah, I'll be back, you know, I don't know when, maybe within the next year. Like, don't worry, I'll take your photo, I'll bring it, like, whatever you want, let's do it. And um, it was a really great ministry opportunity to just go, you know, bounce all over the village and, and talk to people and, and uh, go in their house. And so I, t I took all these portraits, and I was planning going back the next year. Uh, but, you know, then COVID happened, and that kind of got ruined, th those plans. And um, I was able to finally go back this year, and I was thinking, I have to go to that village. You know, I have to finish, like, finish this promise I gave these people to, to go back and, and get them their photos, so um, I actually, I thought I had, like, 50 photos or so, but I actually had, like, closer to 100 photos, um, so in Kathmandu, I, I printed them all out, and I, I brought them to the village, and I was, I mean, I was willing to just go solo to this village. I didn't know. I, I tried to see if there's any friends or people that wanted to go with me, but I couldn't find any, but then when I was in Nepal, it's actually a team of Nepali, um, Nepalis who are in a mission school, and they couldn't go on their outreach portion to other countries because a lot of them didn't have documentation, um, you know, from different villages. Some of them who didn't even have an ID, you know, they didn't even have documentation or weren't even able to get passport or visas. So anyway, they were like basically just decided to come with me. And so it was just like me and these other seven Nepalis and another one of my foreign friends, and we just went to... We just went to this village together, and God totally raised up this team for uh, with me. And so we just got to go there and, and just do ministry for a week. And I brought these 100 photos, and it was it was incredible. I um, started passing them out, you know, day by day. It's too much to go to pass out one day, and you know, a lot of people were going, "Where? What the heck? Like, where'd you get this photo of me?" You know, some of them forgot. And it was just like I just show up to their door with a photo of their face, and then uh, they're like, "What in the world?" So, um, but I mean, they loved it. They're like, you know, of course, all the ladies are like, you know, I look terrible, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> but all the boys are like, whoa, so cool. So, you know, I was like going to all these houses and people are like, you know, come in, come in, let's get tea. And it was an amazing opportunity to share with people, um, even relationally, and have open doors to just sit in their home and share the gospel with them. And in the past, in this village, there's been lots of healings and God's really done a lot of miracles there. But it's always been a weird type of thing where uh, people get healed. And it came to the point where people were coming to our place we were staying in past years and lining up almost. 
because like they heard a report of someone getting healed, so they'd come to us and you know, can I, can you, can you heal me too? And like we just pray for people, they'll get healed, and then they'll just say thanks, and you know, or maybe some of them won't even say thanks, but they'll just walk away and say, you know, cool, thank, thank you, you know, I don't want, I don't care to hear what you have to say more, because we were wanting to say, you know, there's a man who did this for you, you know, his name is Jesus. There's something more. There's a, a creator. Someone who created these mountains all around you. Um, someone who has a plan for your life, who knows you, who loves you, um, who has power in his name to set you free. Like, saying these things, and people would just not care and just go back to their home. Kind of like, you know, healing the ten lepers, and only one comes back to, to give thanks. It's similar to that. And But this year, it was kind of the opposite. Less healings. Um, but people had receptive hearts, and there was three people in the village who came to put their faith in Jesus, which is amazing because this village is like a 1,000 people, and there's only one lady who has believed in Jesus in the past and is a believer, and um, which she had not, not even been there in years past. Um, so we, we kind of had sort of a little mini Bible study going with these people, uh, these three believers in the mornings. We were just teaching them the word, and... Um, there was these two boys, and our grandpa got saved, and they were just, you know, hearing hearing us talk the whole time, and we prayed for them. They just had joy in their faces, and we told them, you know, Jesus is the king, and uh, they just took it and ran with it, and they were saying, like, you know, all hail King Jesus, long live the king, like in Nepali, and uh, just going around like crazy, fiery ones, yelling it in the village, and we would show them a picture of some of the pictures I had and they'll go, oh, my gosh, you know, that's, you know, uncle down the street, let's go. And then they'll just, like, run down the street, take the photo, and, like, let's go. And uh, and then the kids would, like, help us pray for them. We'd teach the kids to put their hands and, and pray. And and people, this, this older gentleman got healed, like, had a back problem, put his faith in Jesus from these little boys, like, praying for him, too. It's just amazing. And I actually have a video here I want to show. Go to the one at the tower. Um, so here's little boys. Going up on top of this view tower, just shouting, like, basically in Nepali, the translation, all hail King Jesus. Yeah, so they, they built that view tower in the village for, like, tourists to see the mountains and whatnot around. And, and I was thinking, wow, what a beautiful moment. This is probably the first time ever in that village where a local person is, like, shouting from the rooftops, you know, the name of Jesus, like, sort of a biblical prophecy being fulfilled, you know, shouting, Isaiah 42, shouting from the mountaintops, and it's just like, wow, it's such an honor to just be standing there and watching these, these children doing that, you know, knowing that Jesus wants to use these boys, you know, there could be future pastors of this village or this region, you know, I believe, and uh, so that's really encouraging, and you can show them the other video as well. Um, of me passing out the photos. Bubble to me, Sanga Kikiza. Photo. 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 And just smiling, grinning ear to ear. Because, you know, in this village, they all recognize each other's faces. So they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I know who this is, I know who that is. And then there's a few moments where people, you know, they're looking through the photos and then they pull out their photo. And it was this uh, purple lady in the purple on the right. She was one of the ones who put her faith in Jesus. Really beautiful. You can go to the other photos as well, the photos of the village, the mountains, to show you guys a picture of that. Yeah, so that's what the village looks like. It's super gorgeous, one of my favorite places in the world. And, yeah, so... It's just an encouraging report of what God's doing in Nepal, in this village. And I just think it's amazing these things are happening, you know. Even when we're just sitting here, like we're, we're here, we have no idea. But 
I wanted to come and just testify of what God's doing there and of seeds planted in the past being um, harvested and seeing fruit in this place. Um, it's just so beautiful to me. And, and even knowing the fruit of past years or past prayers, past, um, you know, laboring and, and, and vision and going, just seeing what God's doing there. And, and I, even going back was so encouraging to me hearing reports of what God had done to other people when I had been gone. Um, people I had maybe sown seeds in or people I had heard of or different villages and whatnot. So, yeah, God's, God's moving in Nepal. Um, and where I'm at right now, I still have one more semester of college. And then I'm, I'm planning to go move back out, launch back to Asia, to the field hopefully to Central Asia, but this, this trip I just did was a, a, a blessing, you know, it was a, a true honor to go back and a gift to revisit and, and whatnot, and just wanted to testify that to you guys, and I felt I appreciated everyone's support over the years, and, and you know, prayers and, and finances and everything, it means a lot to me, and um, hopefully this will be encouragement to you guys that God's moving Thank you, Logan. So, uh, so we want to pray for Logan. And uh, we always pray the same two things, that the Holy Spirit go before him. And then also God put him into our heart. I think he's already put him into our heart, right? He's part of us here. But always be praying. Always be praying that, um, that God will lead and guide and all of that. And so, Logan, why don't you step down here? Anybody that wants to, why don't you join us, if you'd like, and everybody else to stand with us. And uh, let's pray for Logan. Lord, we lift him up to you. God, we are so proud of him, and we are amazed by what you do and how you use us. And uh, Lord, we ask you just to anoint him, continue to guide him and lead him, and as he's, as he's finishing up school and he's taking the next step, Lord, you're going to guide him the direction he needs to go. We know that. We believe that. And uh, you're, you're going to protect him and keep him, Lord. We know these things. God, help us to continue to pray for him, to give to him, to support what he's doing. Lord, we believe we believe in, in your call in his life. We strongly believe in that. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I've been um, <clears throat> talking with Logan a little bit about um, some of this with the... So when he first went to Nepal, he went through Acts, um, a group that doesn't, they don't exist now. But um, we've been talking to him. I've been talking to him. A couple of missionaries have been talking to him about connecting with um, Assemblies of God World Missions and becoming a missionary with the Assemblies of God. And so um, that's, he's thinking about that, praying about that. So, so be, be thinking and praying for him because God has a plan. It may not be that, but God has a plan. And so we want, we want that to happen, uh, the next step of his life, because we know this is, this is who he is. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of um, convicting to the rest of us, is it not? <laughs> that at 18, he just says, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to Nepal. You know, we're, we're, we're wondering at 18, do we, do we go to Sonic or Burger King? You know, which is <clears throat> the thing there. So, so I, I read an article this week, uh, the, the uh, WHO, the World Health, Health Organization, um, put some stuff out, and then they were working with the United Nations on some things. So they were doing studies, trying to figure out the last two and a half years, COVID, what's been going on, all this kind of stuff. And so they came out with this article. They were trying to figure out why there was major countries, major parts of the world and many countries around the world that did not were not really affected by COVID very much. And uh, these were mostly um, underdeveloped and developing countries, uh, we used to call them third world countries, but they could they couldn't figure out why they weren't dealing with COVID the same. There were there were many countries, specifically through Africa, there were many countries that there was not one single death from COVID. Okay, so they're saying, well, why? And they and they and I read the whole it's a very long article, a lot of medical stuff in there, and they were saying things like, you know, some of these people have extra worms in their stomach and stuff like that and just <clears throat> all kinds of stupidity. And then down toward the bottom of the article, they said, and there could possibly be a link to the fact that many people, most people in these countries take hydroxychloroquine 
and ivermectin and have been taking these drugs for years as a prophylactic against things like river blindness and stuff like that that are very common in uh, uh, underdeveloped countries. But that was kind of hidden at the bottom of the article. And I thought, how disingenuous are you? How fake are you to keep propagating the stupidity of the lie of everything else and then kind of hide the truth down at the bottom and hope everybody doesn't really pay attention to this? Um, We've known, anybody, anybody that's been paying attention has known from the very beginning that there was, there was um, uh, medicine for COVID. We've known it from the beginning, but then they started making it illegal and everything else because of greed and, uh, and just the lie that is our country right now, the lie that is things like CDC and NIH and stuff like this. And, uh, and then we see this week where um, just in the last couple of months, President Biden has caught COVID twice. Now, he's fully vaccinated, but he's caught COVID twice. You know, this is an interesting thing, too, because this, was, this is one that jumped out at me, that, um, that uh, three different military doctors, when they got their fourth shot, all died within a week. Guys, this stuff is not coincidence. And then we also find out now that the, that the CDC has been um, hiding the deaths of people that have had the vaccine. Over 50,000 deaths they've been hiding. Um, and mixing the numbers up and all this stuff. Now, why am I, why am I saying all that? Um, we're, 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 this actually is playing into my message here in a second. But we're really fighting an uphill battle when it comes to truth in our country right now. Um, for every, from everything from elections to the FBI. The FBI is still hiding all the stuff about Hunter Biden and, and, um, and even the Russia stuff. The, the FBI, at the, definitely at the national level, maybe not at the local level, but at the national level, this, they're, they're a joke. They, this used to be a very important institution in our country. And, uh, and they're just a big joke now. We're, we're really facing a lot of uphill stuff when it comes to our country and the lies of all this. Now, let me just throw this out. I think this is just me, okay? So I don't know. You'll have to process this. But I, they're really hitting pretty heavy, right? I'm saying the media. Any, anytime the media really focuses on something, pay attention because they're telling you something. It's not truth, but they're telling you something, okay? Um, the fact that they're picking on Biden so much lately with all this, I really believe that, that the uh, left is, is done with Biden, but they have to have a legitimate reason why he can't run for president next year. Not, I mean, two years from now. Not gas is $5 a gallon and we're sending millions of dollars to China and millions of dollars uh, to to Ukraine while we're struggling, you know, all that kind of opening the borders, all, all this stuff. They can't say those are the reasons. So what they're going to do is over the next couple of years really work him into non-existence by, by being too sick or, or mentally inept and, and those kind of things because they're done with him. And so uh, just, I don't know, just be paying attention to that. Um, something I did mention this last week, and I, I, I want to mention it again. I'll probably mention a few more weeks. This has just been an amazing thing. It really is a a miracle. It really is a, a loaves and fishes kind of miracle. We still don't understand exactly how this happened. But uh, we, this time last year, we were getting ready to, um, we were working on, we, we put our building, our new construction, all that kind of stuff into phases because we knew we couldn't just do the expansion immediately. The cost of, the, the uh, building costs had gone too crazy. So we broke it off and we're going to do all the, uh, the stuff we have to do because of the annexation to the city. So we knew it was going to cost about seven to eight hundred thousand for all of this, and we knew we had to roll our two fifty, two hundred fifty thousand that we have still existing on our note. We needed to roll that into that, and um, so we got ready. We went to the bank. The bank uh, gave us a construction loan for up to a million dollars, and we were hoping to stay closer to the eight hundred thousand rather than the million. And uh, and now we just got our numbers back a couple weeks ago with everything that we've done. With all of this, after rolling the 250 in, we did have a couple hundred thousand that we put toward it in the process, but with everything, we only owe 350,000. That really is a supernatural thing. We're not really sure. We can see on paper what we did, but it's, it just doesn't match up to what we know we did. And, uh, and so this really is just a supernatural thing. Think about this. After rolling our 250,000 in, we owe 100,000. Instead of a million, I, I, we're still, we're still uh, amazed by this. And so this is also a commercial for you. 
Um, if you would like to give to the building, this would be a good time to do it. As soon as we get done with this and, and get this paid down, we're going to start the, the uh, construction. And uh, we think that's going to be fairly quickly. And so, so if, you've got, if, you, if you want to throw some money at this, we really want to see this uh, done. Um, and and for, this is just another thing. It's kind of the same subject, but I do all of my giving through our church app. That really is the easiest way to give. If you haven't tried that or figured that out yet, it's, it's very secure. We've, we work with a couple of different companies to make sure of this. But it's actually very good. It's, uh, easy to do. You can do a one-time gift or you can do recurring giving. That's how I, that's how I tithe is I tithe through the app, and, it'll, and I just set it up, and then it just does it. Uh, so if you're thinking about that. Now, if you want to pay the whole $350,000 off, um, we would like you to come in and do that in person with a check. Uh, don't do that through the app. Um, Plus, we want to hug you a little bit while that's happening. So, all right. Um, this is <clears throat> continuation of the Frog and Rock. This is the last week I'm going to talk about Mr. Frog and Rock. And, uh, and, and my goal with this is really to, to, to expand our horizons a little bit and to make us think. I, I, my goal is when you're, when you're dealing with the big thing in life that you're going to deal with, and, and you, we're all going to deal with this stuff, right? I, I was thinking about this um, last night. Um, I've, I've done a couple funerals uh, recently, and, and just this last week, just this last week, um, uh, Aspen and Brandon had their baby. They missed my birthday by a little bit, but that's whatever. But um, they had a baby, and then last night I was at a wedding, and at the same time I was at the wedding, Linda's um, uncle had passed away, and she'd gone to Texas and was at her uh, uncle's funeral. And I was thinking about this. In fact, she just flew in during first service. She literally just, that's dedication right there. She flew, landed during first service. She's at second service. That's, she's a keeper. So, so, so here's the thing. I was thinking about this. You've got birth, you've got weddings, you've got funeral. All the, you know, those are the big three, right? That's, that's life right there. I mean, you throw some bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwiches in the middle of that. I mean, and that's life right there. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. We're all going to deal with stuff. Every one of us deal with stuff. We deal with big stuff. We deal with small stuff. You can't live very long at all before you're going to deal with major, major issues, things that are really beyond your capacity to deal with. And I've often processed this. How do people deal with that stuff without Jesus? I, I really don't know. Some of the stuff is too big. Some of the things you're going to deal with in life is too big. Then you see all the junk that's happening around us, and, and our country is crashing around our ears, and th this is big stuff. How do you deal with this? This is, this is Mr. Frog is hopping through the woods, minding his own business, and um, rock falls on top of uh, Mr. Frog traps him. And he can't do anything. He can't move. He can't get out from underneath the rock. He is trapped. He's going to die underneath that rock. There's nothing that he can do to change that. He struggles, pushes, whatever. He can't get out from underneath the rock. Uh, you come along, and you hear Mr. Frog saying, I need a little help over here. And you walk over and just take the rock off of him. It's not a big deal for you. It doesn't tax you. It doesn't, you're, not, you're not lesser. You haven't lost something in the process. Uh, all you do is you take the rock off the frog. And I really believe that is how it is with us. And this is, this is why I'm saying this, is the next time you're facing something and, and you really need a, a God that is way bigger than you to, to handle the situation, fix something, change something, do something, provide, whatever, heal. When that moment happens, I want you to see Mr. Frog and the rock. And I want you to think to yourself, this is not a big deal to God. It's, he can handle this. It's easy for God. This may be the biggest thing I've ever dealt with, but it is easy for God because I think that will change the way you think and pray during those times and circumstances. That we really, that to push it into our spirit, not just into our brain, but into our spirit to say, God is beyond everything we can imagine and he can do anything. And for God, it's not supernatural. It's not a miracle, but for us it is. And to really think through that. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I do believe that you and I, we're going to come up against undefeatable foes in our life. 
It's, it's going to happen. I was thinking about this even with the, with the, um, <clears throat> with the uh, wedding and the funeral kind of thinking uh, together that I, I've done many, many, many funerals over the years, and they're always different. They feel different when, when the person that died is a Christian. They're very, very different. I've done some funerals with people that, that um, the, the potential that they knew Jesus was very, very slim. Those are difficult. The family's broken. There's not a hope. There's not, and, and, but when somebody is a Christian, even though, even though they, they're, they're going to miss the person, it's different. That You know that they're with Jesus, and that's way better than anything on this earth. And we try to process that stuff. Is life difficult? Yes. I, I heard a couple of people at the, um, at the wedding yesterday talking about how difficult marriage is. And I, I understand that at some particular level. Uh, Linda and I, we, we, we were talking about this the other day because of our kids. Our kids are all in the, the, the realm of um, been married less than 10 years. Uh, you know, our oldest has, a, has two kids. Uh, our middle one's been married a few years. And Emily is, is uh, begging that marriage will happen quickly in her life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> feel like I crossed the line there. <laughs> so, back on track. So, here's the reality of this. Is, uh, is marriage difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult specifically the first few years because you're trying to figure some stuff out. You're trying to process through things. But guys, I think, th- I think there's some of you in this room that would agree with this. There comes a time when marriage is not difficult. It... it it's not the same. Doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you're, you're on the same page and all that kind of stuff. But here's what I have found. If you will keep your eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how much better your spouse is. The reason you start struggling with your spouse, most of the time, my experience with this, is most of the time when Lynn and I are at odds with each other, I'm saying from my perspective, not hers. When Lynn and I are at odds with each other, it's because I'm, something's wrong with me. I'm taking my eyes off Jesus. Something's not jiving in my relationship with God the way that it's supposed to. And that's what begins to hinder the marriage. When you, when you focus on yourself, marriage is always going to be difficult. When you focus on Jesus, it's amazing how much easier marriage gets. I, Lynn and I were talking about this with the kids the other night because they were talking about, you know, disagreeing and fighting and all this kind of stuff. And I, I can't remember the last time Lynn and I had an argument. I really can't. I, I think the potential is she drugs me with mine for getting drugs, but I don't know that for sure. But I, I really don't, I don't remember. Now, it doesn't mean Linda doesn't irritate me. She irritates me. And, and sometimes it's completely her. It's not me. But those are, those are small little things in the big picture of life. They're really not that big of a deal. You know, life doesn't have to be overwhelmingly difficult. We make it worse by our issues and our sin and our attitude and our rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And if, if we just keep our eyes on Jesus, it's amazing what he can do. It's amazing how he can, he can fix things in your life. It doesn't mean that you're not striving and struggling and working hard and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's, it's different I don't come home to my wife every day wondering what fight we're going to get in today. That's, that's not... Why live like that? Have you ever wondered that? Why live like that? Wouldn't it be better just to just focus on Jesus and pray for your spouse a lot and let God take care of it? Inevitably, when I say those things, somebody would say, yeah, you keep your eyes on Jesus, you keep praying or whatever, but you, that person, they got to be doing that too. No, they don't. Here's the trick. If I focus on Jesus 100% and I really try to serve my wife the way that God has, has told us to in Scripture, it's amazing how good of a wife she is. That's, that's scriptural truth. All right, let me get back to what I was saying. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at, we're going to look at Goliath, and, and the big picture of the story of Goliath is true, and I don't want to miss that. But, but I want us to also... Um, 
I want to I show you a few things along the way that I think might be something you haven't seen or interesting with this. But the big picture is there is a giant. David fights the giant, and he defeats the giant. Okay, that's, that's the story, right? That's the big picture of the story. But it's interesting how there's all this other stuff in there that God wants to try to show us and wants to try to tell us about you and I. Because why? We're not going to physically fight a nine-foot-tall giant most likely. All right? There's like a 60-40 chance we're not going to fight a nine-foot-tall giant. But you are going to deal with things in your life that are, that are way bigger than you and are, are undefeatable stuff. You are going to deal with stuff that you cannot handle. In fact, I really believe that, the, that a lot of the mental, emotional health issues that happen through our country are because people are trying to deal with stuff by themselves that God never intended them to deal with. Right? This is one of the things that, this is one of the basics even like for PTSD that's an interesting thing is that um, human beings were never designed by God to kill other human beings. But sometimes, through the context of war, you have to do that. And that's where PTSD comes from. Because you're doing stuff you were not designed to do. It's the same concept with, with all the other stuff that piles in our life. If you let Jesus be in charge, it's amazing how he helps you through things and instead of piling up all of the baggage that comes along with this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. <clears throat> the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokah and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. I've, I've stood on the side of the hill and I've looked at this area where David probably fought Goliath. And, and it's an amazing thing because th this is the way I saw it. And it was, it was interesting to, to see all the tourists and all the people that are involved and figuring out how they're processing all this. Because I'm sitting there looking at this knowing that this is the place that David fought Goliath. Real David, real Goliath, real story really happened. And there's a lot of people, even major chunks of Christians, that don't believe the stories in the Bible are true. That they're like allegory or metaphor or something else. Can we metaphorically learn from these stories? Yes, but I know the story is true. And it's not just kind of the story itself that's important. Every detail in the story is important. That's why we're going to see very specific things that God says about this, this entire event. All right? Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. I don't know for sure. David was probably early teens at the oldest, right? Uh, maybe maybe 16-ish. And the reason we know this is because he wasn't in the army already. He had, he had to stay home because he was too young to be in the army. That puts him at junior high to early high school age, okay? Why am I saying that? There is a good chance that... Goliath's coat of mail weighed about the same as David. Okay. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. You know why all these details are there? Because God is telling the details of a real story that really happened. And God is really a detail-oriented kind of guy. Right? When, when he can create the cell inside of a human body, and that's just one of the pieces of all of the universe that he created, he's kind of about the details. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are, you coming out to, why are all of you coming out to fight? He said, I am the Philistine. Now, this is an important sentence. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying all you soldiers that come out, and, and we're going to see because he reiterates this in a deeper, a deeper dig in a, in a couple sentences. But he says, you guys are just the servants of Saul, not the servants of God Almighty. He doesn't, he doesn't care whether they have a God or believe in their God. He has not seen anything that would make him frightened of their God. 
He hasn't seen anything from the king. He hasn't seen anything from any of the soldiers or any of the people that would make him fear their God when he's standing out in the field taunting them. And he says, you're just the people, the, the soldiers that belong to Saul. This, I think this is important for us in our Christian context today. I think that we, well, we've always been here since the beginning, since the cross, we've always been here, but we in America are at a very unique place right here where we're saying, um, we're having to make the decision in the church, are we really going to follow God or are we really not going to follow God? And we're seeing major chunks of the church, they're starting to pull away from God's word and they're pulling away from the reality and the truth of God's word and the morality of God's word. That's, that's really the, one of the biggest is the morality. Why? Because holiness comes from relationship with God. Not following a list of rules. I talked about that last week. Not following a list of rules, but comes from relationship. The reason people desire to be holy is because they want to be more like God and less like Satan's plan, less like Satan and, and our flesh and humanity and everything else. We desire to say no to that stuff, and we say yes to God and his plan and his word. That's what holiness is. Well, that comes out of relationship. That doesn't come out of following the rules. And we get so easily trapped in, in church in America about following the rules. Well, if it's only about the rules, then eventually you, you can kind of shave the edges of that and keep doing that generation after generation, and the church gets, be, becomes less and less like Jesus and more and more like the world. <clears throat> and that's where we have become in the church today is we're trying to decide when, when the church is pulling aside and, and, and saying we embrace things like abortion, when the church does that, that we embrace killing God's children created in his image, when we embrace that kind of stuff, that's because somewhere long before there we lost the relationship and it became about the rules. It became about then church stuff and structures. And then we took another step and it becomes about religion. And religion is always, 100% of the time, death. It's not about life. It's about death. And so that's, that's where th these guys had become. And I it got to, and I think it's where the church in America is right now. We're trying to figure out where are we going to be. Are we going to be, as he says here, you're only the servants of Saul. Not servants of the Most High God. When, when the world looks, at, or specifically America, when the, America looks at the church, do they see the servants of God or do they see the servants of something else? This is even something that I, I, I try to keep um, verbalizing when it comes to the political stuff that I'm now involved with is there's a lot of Christians that are more dedicated to the Republican Party than they are to Jesus Christ. Guys, that's not healthy. Something's wrong there. Jesus wasn't a Democrat or a Republican. You understand? I know some of you are like, what? Are you sure? One of the coolest places in Scripture is when Joshua crosses the river. They're about to fight the Battle of Jericho. And the night before, he's walking in the darkness. And he's walking through the darkness and he's praying. He's talking to God. All of a sudden, this big angel with a flaming sword is standing there. And, and um, Joshua says, are you on my side or their side? Are you friend or foe? And what does the angel say? Neither one. I'm on God's side. Be, be careful. I, I mean, guys, think about this. If somebody says to you right now, are you Republican or Democrat? I hate those terms, by the way. Republican or Democrat. I, I, I've said this a half a dozen times already. I'm really kind of on God's side. I'm fighting for him, whatever he tells me to do. And that'll, it doesn't matter who you are, both parties, they get mad at you when you say that stuff. Right? So, so, so Goliath says, you're part of the armies of Saul. Guys, as the church, are we part of the armies of God or are we part of the armies of whatever? Money? Um, importance? Our job? What, what, what army are you part of? The church needs to be living it out so strongly that everybody out there knows that we belong to God and that God is our king, that we are submitted to him, that we are serving him. 
See, somewhere, somewhere you have to draw a line in life. And you have to say, this is not okay area, and this is okay area. And it's interesting because it's going to be unique for every single one of us in here. You have to decide. I have to figure out for myself, what is that line? That's what work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is. There is a line, and that over there is not okay. And this is where the church is. We don't know where the line is. There's not even really a line. And when you start saying things like, well, that's a line. Well, you get attacked. When you say things like, no, homosexuality is a sin in the Bible. It really is. And we're trying to tell you truth to save you from that, to save you from that trap and from the, the, the evil and the darkness and the horribleness that comes along with this. It's so weird to me how many people quote statistics on, on suicide rates within the transgender community as a defense for the transgender community. Why do you think the suicide rates are so high? People will say, I just had somebody post, attack online this week about that. Though it's because the, the people like you are hurting them and attacking them. That's not why the suicide rates are high. I haven't had a conversation with any of them. But they're still killing themselves. Why? Because they're dying inside. There's darkness. There's no hope. There's no expectation of anything for tomorrow. There's nothing to live for except the pain and the agony that drove them to this in the first place. And the church is saying, well, just we just support that. We just want to embrace it along with you. Because we're going to be judged for this stuff. When you have hope and you have life and you have truth and you have love to hand to somebody that can help them from this. Give that to them. Don't embrace the darkness for them. Shine light on it. Let me get back. Choose one man to come down here and fight. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. See, this is the second slam. I defy the armies of Israel. Where did we get the word Israel from? What does it mean? This, this, was not, this isn't just the name of the people. The closest you could come to that would be Hebrew, the Hebrew people. The reason we have the name Israel is because that God gave Jacob that name when he changed his name to Israel. And that became the name that represented all of the people. In fact, the, the name Israel literally means um, wrestle with God. Work this out in a wrestling mentality with God. The people of God. And he says, I defy your armies of supposedly the God people. Second time he slams them. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were, ter they were terrified and deeply shaken. Why wasn't there anybody righteously indignant? Why wasn't there anybody that was so ticked off by this giant making fun of their God, making fun of the armies of God? Why wasn't anybody upset by that? Think about Saul. Saul is the king. He was put there by God, and that whole thing was so supernatural and miraculous. He ran from God, all this stuff. There's no doubt in Saul's mind he was put there by God. So why didn't he stand up for that God? Interestingly, also, this really is just the way my brain works. It doesn't have anything to do with this. Saul was also the tallest guy around. Do you know that? He was the biggest guy around. He was a head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He was also the best looking dude in the army. The Bible says that. I'm not making that up. Why didn't, why didn't Saul say, well, I'm, I'm the biggest guy. Maybe I should do something about this. Because when he looked at the nine foot giant, there was nothing inside of him that said, I can do this. And that's the tragedy. Because it should have been something. Down to verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse, his father, directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. How goofy is that? What does the verses right above it say? Verse 11, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So every single morning they get up and they have their big shout and we're going to conquer and we're going to kick rear and here we go, come on. And then they run up to the battle and Goliath steps out and they all run away scared. 
Now, this is, this is going to be really picking at the church. I've been watching the church do that for a long, long time. We stand in churches and we shout and we sing and we get all pumped up. And then we go to work and we never open our mouth. We, we shout and we sing and we dance and we don't do anything in society where the people that are dying and hungry and needing this are. We, we, were, at, we were at a restaurant, my kids and I, a um, couple nights ago. And uh, my son and daughter-in-law go there often, so they know the waitress a little bit. And she came over to our table and began talking to her. She's going through so much stuff. And, uh, and this just was getting more and more in my head, my spirit. I couldn't, you know, they're, they're all, we're all talking, and she's telling all the difficult stuff she's dealing with in her life. And this is horrible stuff. People are, are using her and abusing her in some way. She, she wasn't, like, overt about that, but you could tell that's what was going on. I finally get enough of this, and I said, look, I, I got to tell you. I said, I know, I know this may not be what you want to hear, whatever, but I just talked to her a little bit. I said, you know, God actually created you, and he made you pretty special, and you don't have to deal with all this stuff. When you look in the mirror, do you see somebody that is um, got importance and worth? Because your life doesn't seem to look like that. You're letting these people abuse you and run over you and all this other stuff. I said, but you are an amazing person. Don't waste your life with this other stuff. Get out of this. And she, she started talking to us about that. And, um, and, and then um, my daughter-in-law just talked to her. Do you, do you know Jesus? Do you know anything about Jesus? And we began to talk about that. And she said to us, I need this. I've been needing this for a long time. She said, I guess I've tried all. Now, she's not that old, but she, guess I, she said, I guess I've tried everything else, huh? I might as well try that, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right? Guys, here's the reality. People are so desperate for hope and love and purpose and grace. They are so desperate. Three different people after first service came and gave me examples of people they work with that so are so desperate for Jesus right now. So we prayed. Go talk to them. Don't assume they, they won't respond. They will. Guys, they will. Let, let Jesus be that. Let Jesus be bigger. Right? Soon the Israelite army and the Philistines forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Where's all the shouting and, and cheering? Where's all the battle cries now? We've got to make sure that our focus is actually serving God and, and letting people know that Jesus is God rather than sometimes the things we get caught up in within Christianity, which is doing the Christianity stuff. <clears throat> we do the Christianity stuff while we're all protected inside the, the fortress, and then when we step outside there, we run, we hide. As we... we, we there has to be a moment when you say, no, enough is enough. And I, and I really do believe, I, in fact, this is, the, this is one of the best things that I've seen come out of COVID, is there are major parts of the church that are saying, enough is enough. We're, we're, we're not going to be playing the games anymore. The more we see all the stuff from Washington, all the, the corruption, all the brokenness, there are major parts of the church that are standing up and saying, enough is enough. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve him completely. I'm all in. And they're starting to, to kind of pull away from the rest of the, the goofy church thinking. Guys, we need that. The, the church in America needs a major reformation, a major turnover. Uh, in, in how we see this, this whole thing. <clears throat> he, have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out every, each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and that man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. 
I've always found that interesting because years later, when David is running from Saul and, and all these um, um, soldiers and, and, and even a bunch of criminals and stuff like that are collecting around David, and that's where the, the, the 30 and the, the 3 and all that kind of stuff is talked about more. You know, it's interesting that his brothers did not leave the army of Saul and join him. Now, they got a good tax break by being his family, but they didn't go with him. I, that, I've always found that interesting. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, and this is the key, that he is allowed to define the armies of the living God? David is the first person in the Israelite camp that has said this. He's the first person that is saying, this is, we're God's people. What are we doing? <clears throat> and these men gave David the same reply. Yes, that's the reward. But when David's older brother, oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? David should have said, what about this battle you're supposed to be fighting? See, Eliab was, was lashing out because he was feeling guilty. He's, he's realizing the shame involved with this. So he's attacking David. I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. And David, see, this is part of the reason I think he probably was junior high age, older junior high age, because this sentence he sounds like he's in junior high. What have I done now? I was only asking a question. <laughs> right? Am I right? Am I making that up? Or do you hear that? Okay. And parents, have you ever heard that? Okay. So. No disrespect intended. So he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the, the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So the first question is, who are you fighting? The second question is, who are you fighting for? And this is important. As Christians, sometimes we don't know what we're fighting and then oftentimes we're not fighting for the right things. We're fighting for our rights, our existence. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And, and, and King Saul was like, all right. Shouldn't there have been something within him that said, no, I'm the guy responsible. I'm the king. God put me in this position. If anybody is going to die at the hands of Goliath, shouldn't it be me? Because he didn't think David was going to win. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. Now, this is an interesting line of thought. David's got it right. He says, I've been taking care of my family, sheep, and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. This is a 14-year-old. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. Why? For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. See, David realized he didn't kill the lion and the bear. God did. He just was the tool. God's the one who did it. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. Go to your death, dumb boy. You know that's what he was thinking. So the third part of this is who actually wins. Goliath walked out toward David in his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine. Guys, this is where we've got to get to. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Guys, that's it. I'm not the warrior. I belong to the warrior. It's, he, he's the battle fighter. He, he's the one who wins everything. He's the weapons. I'm just his servant. I'm just the guy trying to do what he's asked me to do. And when we can get that, we don't, we don't come to the battle with our money or our physical health or our resources or our knowledge or whatever. We come to the battle with what? The Lord. 
And when you face the stuff in life with the Lord, you're going to win the battles. The God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. <laughs> you know, you, you want to throw that in, right, when you get to tell somebody that? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that on, in, in, on, at the Capitol. The Lord is going to defeat you, but I'm going to kill you. You know, that probably, probably won't work. You know what, let's just scratch that. So, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Yeah, I didn't say that either. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the bird and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that's the reason, because we represent God. The whole world will know there's a God. Because I go to work, the whole world's going to know there's a God. Because I'm in my community, the whole world's going to know there's a God. Because that's what we stand for. That's the point of this. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his, his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. If we could, if we could fight more like that, we're going to win a lot more battles. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching to his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head and, and probably could barely lift the sword. But you know what? That sword stayed with David either in the temple or, or at different times in life. That sword stayed with David his whole life as a testimony. The last part of this, keep your eyes on Jesus. When you stand for the Lord, you will become enemy, number one, to, to Satan, to the demonic forces. And that's why you're going to be attacked by, by people. people. There's a lot of times the people that are attacking you don't even realize what they're doing. Sometimes they do, but... But even then, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. And you're the king. I am not the king, Jesus. You are. I am not the weapon. You are. I'm not the warrior. You are. You're the everything. And God, and there are battles being fought all through this room right now. Things in our spirit, things in our mind. Stuff we're up against attacks, junk we have to deal with, physical things. But Lord, you are still the victor of all battles. Lord, you are the, the Jehovah Nisi. Lord, we submit to you. Be in charge. Be in control, Lord God. Be in control of my life, every one of our lives here. And we submit to you. So God, as we're dealing with the stuff, for every one of us in here, put it into our minds, put it into our spirit, that when we face the giant, all we have to do is call out to you and you take the rock off our life. It really is that simple. God, we, we, we're the ones who make it so difficult. Lord, help us just abandon ourselves in you, completely give ourselves over to you.
Thank you, Jesus. God, we receive this. Lord, I, I believe that you are that you are in urgency calling out to us. God, you're our strength. You're our hope. We submit to this. We submit to both of these messages. Lord, you, you are the everything. We will believe in you. We will trust you. God, we give you us. God, help, help us just to, to trust you and believe you. Help us to go all in with you. Lord, if there's people in this room that are, are on the fence, Lord, grab onto them, pull them up to you. playing games. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So Jesus is sitting around the table and um, what we call communion He's looking across at the disciples. And I think he sees both things as he's looking around the table. He sees potential. He sees amazingness and he sees brokenness. He sees limitedness within human reasoning. And I think when he's looking around and he sees the, the physicalness of these guys and he's, and he's processing what this looks like or what this uh, is in a spiritual realm, this is when he reaches to the table and he picks up the bread and begins to explain to them this whole concept. And he's talked about this stuff obviously many times before, but he takes this bread and he looks around knowing that these guys are going to deal with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things, physical stuff, sickness. Some of them are going to go literally to their death. Most of them are going to go to their death for him. And when he's doing this, he picks up this bread and he breaks it. And he says, guys, just the way that I broke this, the way that I broke this bread is the way my body's going to be broken. But this is the amazing thing. And, and they could see this picture in their head the rest of their life. So just the way I'm breaking this bread is how I'm providing for your physical bodies to be healed. That every time you're going through something, you're physical. Remember, I was broken, so you don't have to deal with it. You can be healed. And you can go through this. God, we thank you for the brokenness of your body. We thank you for the amazingness of this. Lord, that you really were all in. You were so all in for us. We thank you for the brokenness of your body. God, and I pray as, as, as we take this, that, that, that this sparks our faith and we really see healings happen all through this room, that you heal our bodies. That was the promise, God. We're doing this to remember the promise that you gave us. So we thank you. Let's take the bread together. We thank you so much, Jesus. You have given us so much, and we do not deserve this or warrant this, but you continue to give. And then he's looking around the table and he sees the disciples in their in their limitations of sin, temptations. He looks at somebody like Peter and he sees Peter very quick to speak, very slow to think. And and I I feel like he looks across time and he sees me the same way and then he takes the cup and he says but this represents my blood that when my blood is poured out and you receive this you can be forgiven no matter what you've done no matter how you see your life Jesus has already provided the forgiveness all we have to do is accept it by faith he says, every time you do this, remember that my blood forgives you. 
Jesus, we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean right now. And Lord, I'm indebted, completely indebted to you. Let's take the drink together. Lord, we are so amazed. We're so humbled by you. We're so humbled by your grace, your mercy. Lord, help us to walk out of here today knowing that we're forgiven. And Lord, with an urgency in our spirit to tell somebody else that I am David and I belong to you and you will fight my Goliath. Guys, you got to own that. You got to own that. In the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell somebody about Jesus. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, tell them how glad you are that they are here, and uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.